You're listening to Cross Section, the podcast of the Summit View Church of Christ. Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lifts Good morning. Uh, first, I'd like to say we are so blessed to have the Jensen family. Not only do we have a great preacher, song leader, but we have his wife, who has put together what you're going to see on the screen. I sent her my notes about three days ago. Uh, Since then, they've been changed probably a dozen times. So hopefully she's able to stick with it. This, by the way, is why when I was in college, uh, I waited till the last night to write my 25-page term papers so that the lovely young lady who was typing them for me, (laughs) typing with the old eraser and then the whiteout and then the little piece of paper that you put in there and typed over it to get rid of the letter, she wouldn't have to change it over and over again. Problem is, we'd get done about 3 in the morning for that paper due at 8 o'clock. But she married me anyway, so all all is good. And to show you how I changed things, I was taking, adding some more notes as uh, we were standing to sing. That's just things come into my mind. When I saw the, the last song, Ancient Words, our Bible is consistent, it is consisting of ancient words. Um, James was written somewhere around 35, 36 CE, they now call it. We call it A.D., Anio Domine, in the year of the Lord. They've changed that to, I think they refer to it as common era. So anyway, well, we're coming up on almost 2,000 years uh, since he wrote it. And maybe we need to look into that. Uh, What year was Jesus crucified? Are we coming up on the 2000th anniversary? But anyway, these ancient words still apply to us today. That's why when someone is preaching from the pulpit or when you're reading the Bible, you pick up some things uh, that still apply. And that's what I'm hoping to do today. Uh, By the way, I brought this chair up just in case you're wondering as uh, I have a bad knee, I've got a brace on, I can only stand so long before it starts bothering me. So I may, if it's all right, I might end up sitting a little bit in that chair uh, during this time. Doesn't mean I'm going to speak a long time. Um, That's why Kevin had extra songs. It's a little little shorter today. So uh, in the teen class, which I taught uh, during the fall, uh, during the summer, we're doing full. When, in the teen class that I just finished teaching a while back, we discussed the book of James, and I'm sure you've heard sermons from James many, many times. But as we prepare for a new year starting tomorrow, 2024, uh, I thought I would try the Cliff Notes version of part of James. Now, for you youngsters, that's the Cliff Notes. Um, Younger members of the congregation, I'm sorry. Uh, It was an earlier version of Google and Wikipedia. Uh, You could get abbreviated, short version information about different topics that were written by professors and teachers. They were great help in studying, writing a paper, except you had to buy it. It was in a little booklet, in print, like you see here. So this is the cliff notes of a couple of... uh, chapters of of James. First of all, there were four men named James in the Bible. Uh, It's widely accepted that this James was the brother of Jesus, 
And his letter was one of the first written, if you look at when he wrote it. He wrote, when he wrote these thoughts, the Jewish Christians had fled Jerusalem after the stoning of Stephen. They scattered across the Roman Empire. Uh, as you can see on the map, all over the place. They had to get out of Jerusalem. They feared for their lives. This could have been viewed as bad. However, as they discussed in the teen class, it helped spread Christianity. In fact, according to Acts 11.26, the first people called Christians were these refugees in Antioch in Syria. However, some of these refugees began to live in a worldly manner. So James wrote to them telling them how to live as Christians far from their home, their fellow believers. His goal was to help them live faithfully as followers of Jesus. He started out calling them the 12 scattered tribes, as you heard uh, in the reading. Uh, as is common through the New Testament, he used a reference to something that they would be familiar with. Uh, the scattering of the 12 northern tribes of Israel who were removed by the Assyrians, never to be heard from again as a Jewish nation. The removal of the two tribes of Judah, removed by the Babylonians. So something that resonated with them, 12 scattered tribes. But maybe there was also hope in his message for a return to Jerusalem as happened under the Persian Empire. James begin by, begins by telling them they'll face trials and, and temptations and all kinds of problems. Uh, like they didn't know that already, they just left their homes uh, because of their belief. But he says the testing of that faith will produce perseverance is the word that my Bible uses. James 1, verses 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of, any, of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Uh, wow. Wow. Um, so we're supposed to expect that trials and temptations are pure joy? I'm not sure if I've ever put the two together. Problems, trials, things going wrong, and then the words, oh, that's pure joy. But then he adds in James 1.12, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So, standing the test of those trials will bring a reward. In other words, dealing with trials is a good thing. Again, how often do we think about that? Do we ever think our problems will make us better? Do we ever consider God will reward us? according to how we respond to our problems, or do we just complain about them and try to figure out how to deal with them on our own? But then he said, they lack wisdom, which the footnotes in my Bible says means practical insight with spiritual applications. So wisdom, practical insight with spiritual applications. 
If they lack that wisdom, they should ask God. Now, insight, the definitions that I find basically say deep understanding of a person or thing. So if we lack that deep understanding, why are these things happening to us? Ask God for guidance. Ask God for a deeper understanding of these trials. Why it happens, what we can learn from it, how does it make us better? And then James 1.5 says, Any of you who lacks wisdom should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And again, I'll repeat that. Ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So he will give it to you. Ask God for practical insight based upon your faith. Again, do we think about that when we have problems? Or do we just complain about them? Do we actually look to God asking him for wisdom? But there's a caveat, um, a stipulation, a requirement, however you want to word it. In James 1.6 where he also reminds them, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. In other words, if you doubt, what good is it to ask for guidance? You're just going to go whatever direction. You can't doubt God and ask him for something. One who doubts the doubts the Lord, should not expect anything from him. So, he reminds us to have faith, ask for wisdom, and not doubt in God and Jesus. Again, I'll ask the question, do we think this way when we have problems? Do we doubt in God for allowing these things to happen to us? Everybody else, everything's going fine, but look at all the terrible things happening to me. God, why are you doing this to me? Do we doubt? Or do we look to him for spiritual insight? How do we respond to the trials in our life? So, so far, he said they'll face trials, but to persevere, have faith, and believe. And if they do these but still need help, ask God for guidance. Ask God how to deal with this. Ask for his help. In James 1.22, he goes on to tell them, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. That sounds pretty obvious, you would think. You know, we come to church, we sing, we take communion, we pray, we listen to a sermon from the Bible, but do we live our life outside of the building according to what we've heard? Do we live how the Lord would have us live? Do we actually live as Jesus showed us? I mean, he was here, and he showed us how we should live. Through his actions, his parables, his stories, do we live that way? Do we hear it? Do we live it? Kevin uh, talked about a couple uh, weeks ago about people who are religious on the outside. I mean, they go to church every Sunday, they give, they pray, they do all these things. 
but they don't live according to God's will. They're religious, the phrase he used, but they're not God's children. They don't live according to God's will, according to his plan. In James 3, 5 through 6, he talks about the tongue. Now, the tongue is a small part of the body. There's a picture of it. There's this little thing in there. But he says, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. I like that comment about the small spark. Uh, Sean Durham, who's now back in Buffalo playing in the snow, I'm assuming, fought forest fires. I fought forest fires for three summers. We've seen the destruction that can be caused by a small spark. Recently, we saw the destruction in Hawaii, all caused by a small spark. But I think we've all seen the destruction that the tongue can cause. It's a small part of the body, but it causes most of our problems. Many arguments. Combine that thought now with what he says in James 1.19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. Now I'll admit it, this is one I have trouble with. I always jump into a conversation and cut people off. But remember, God gave us two ears, one tongue. Maybe we, or maybe I should take the hint. Listen more, speak less. By being willing to listen more, what we say could be more appropriate. You know, misinterpreting what the other person is saying, if we'll actually listen, we'll be more informed. And he then adds, and be slow to become angry. If we really listen to others, maybe we won't become angry with them. They may be more like us than we think, than we're willing to admit. At least we might understand better where they are coming from when we're having this conversation. Now, I was in debate in high school, and when I was teaching, I used to tell my students about debate competitions. You went into a competition, you had to be prepared to argue both sides, because one day you walk, or one time you walk into a room, you're, you're speaking the affirmative, why you agree with whatever the, the question was chosen that year. And the next time you walk into a room, you've got to be the negative. You've got to know both sides. To win... You need to not only know, but be able to express both sides of the argument. That way you are prepared for what the other side is going to bring to the discussion. Have you ever thought about that when you're having a conversation with somebody you don't necessarily agree with? You really know where they're coming from. And have you thought about it so that you're ready to answer what they bring up? I used to tell my kids, if you can't answer what they bring up, you've lost. If you're in a disagreement with someone, the better you understand their position, the better chance you have of getting your point across. By listening more than speaking, it's more likely that can happen. 
Besides, I told my students, there's also the possibility you might realize, and this is the hard one, if you really examine the other side of the argument, after knowing all the facts, not just your side, you might find out they're right. That's a tough one. But more important, I guess I would say, is you're ready to defend your position. You're ready to stand up for what you believe if you can answer what they bring to the argument. If you can't answer them, you're not going to convince them of anything. In the end, sometimes listening is just better than responding. Mark Twain uh, is credited with this. It's not a guarantee he said it. Everybody likes to give Mark Twain credit for things. Don't argue with a fool. People might not be able to tell the difference. Think about that. <laughs> Two of you are sitting there arguing, people around are going, boy, talk about a couple of fools. So listen more, speak less. Now, James goes on in chapter 2, verse 8. If you really keep the royal law found in the scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. Now, you think about it, that must have been tough for these refugees. They had to leave their homes in Jerusalem. They were scattered throughout the empire. They were being persecuted because of their beliefs. They didn't live among fellow believers, other Christians. Their neighbors, it says, love your neighbor as yourself. Their neighbors didn't have the same belief. How could you love people who are strangers, who may hate you, and may literally want to kill you, like they did with Stephen, for your beliefs? Question to be asked in today's world. How can we love someone we disagree with about things we feel are important, or maybe they do something we feel will have a negative impact on us. It doesn't say to love only those people we agree with. It says to love others as ourselves. Kevin referred to Jesus a couple of weeks ago saying in Matthew 7, 12, So in everything, do, un- do to others what you would want... Excuse me. Do to others what you would want them to do to you. For this sums the law and the prophets. Okay? Remember that slow to anger a little bit ago? Combine that with doing unto others. If we don't want them angry with us, why are we getting angry with them? Anger usually only produces more anger. You don't want them getting mad at you, aren't getting angry with you. Don't get angry with them. Treat them as you wish to be treated. And James was good at this. He adds another stipulation. After all this, when he tells his believers that with faith must come deeds. Okay, so all this has been about your faith, your belief. Now he says you've got to do something. James 2.14 What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? He adds later in James 2.26, as the body without the spirit is dead, 
So faith without deeds is dead. So it's not just believe. I mean, we believe Jesus is the Son of God. Now, what do you do with that belief? This may sound like what was said earlier about living as a Christian. But that past instruction could be your attitude, how you relate to others, how we do things in our daily life. Now he says to actually do something. So, do we believe and do according to the word? What deeds have we done in our lives? Is it hard to find deeds to do? Some think only of big grandiose deeds. Oh, I wish I'd hit the lotto because I'd have hundreds of millions of dollars and I could give it away. It could be something as simple as letting a person who has two items to buy at the grocery store go in front of you when you have a cart full. Is that doing a good deed? Hey, go ahead. You only got two. Maybe it's holding the door for somebody. Walk up. Oh, there's somebody behind you? Yeah, here, let me get that. Go ahead. You know, let them go in first. Have you ever been to the grocery store and seen someone in front of you who has a bunch of all essentials, important things, and they look in their purse or their wallet and they go, um, can you put this back and can you put that back? And you realize they're putting back milk, they're putting back bread, maybe they're putting back diapers. They're not buying any extra things that they really don't need. These are necessities for their household and they're putting them back. What do you do? Do you kind of motion to the clerk and say, I got it? Um, you ever been to a restaurant and seen maybe two or three people in military uniforms serving our country? Buy them lunch? Just to say thank you. Don't have to tell the, tell the server. Don't tell them who it's from. Just, I'm taking care of this. Now, doing deeds could be tougher when it's somebody you don't agree with, someone you're mad at. I remember that anger part. But you still help them anyway, just because. Maybe if we ever get snow, and you and your neighbor haven't gotten along all that well, but when you shovel the snow, you don't stop at the property line. You go ahead and shovel the sidewalk in front of their house, maybe all the way up to the steps, so that they don't have to. Uh, maybe there's a big windstorm that comes through. Branches are down, things like that. You go out and you help pick them up. Just because. I don't agree with what they say, but I can do that. There was a guy that was campaigning for a couple of people in this last election. He put some signs on a corner. There were several signs there for the two people that he was supporting, and there were signs for their opponents. Now, somebody came along, didn't like all the signs, so they knocked them all down. All the signs. There was a paint, you know, we paint your house sign. There was a sign for a church meeting someplace. Knocked them all down. So when you go to put those signs back up, which signs do you put up? That guy put them all up, even his opponents, the opponents for the people he's supporting. Why not? 
So, as we begin this new year tomorrow, let us, one, be ready for trials and tribulation. Now, in your bulletin, there's a place to write things, and I didn't get this part in. Like I said, I adjusted this several times. Be ready for trials and tribulations, for God is with us. Some say, let go and let God. You guys have heard that one before? That doesn't mean not to do anything, but let God help. Let go of our human reaction and look to God for guidance. Number two, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Listen more, speak less. You might not be getting angry. Number three, listen to the word and do. Having both faith and deeds. And number four, love your neighbor as yourself. And that doesn't just mean the people you agree with. Love everyone. Jesus loved everyone. He died for all of us, even people we don't like. Love your neighbor as yourself. So just as the new Christians that James was writing to needed guidance to be faithful followers of Jesus, so do we. If you feel you would like additional guidance in this new year, you can talk with Kevin, our preacher, Jack or I as elders, Johnny, Rich, Ryan as deacons. All of us have a title, but we are simply members of this congregation, no more. And it doesn't take a title for someone to help you. There are many others in this congregation who would be very willing to sit with you, listen to you, pray with you. Sometimes just talking leads to a better understanding of what God's plan is for us and how we can live according to that plan. If we can talk with you, listen to you, pray with you, if there's any way we can be of service to you, please come now as we sing the invitational song.